Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travel. I'll be hanging around, covering lots of ground. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the first show of 2024. Man, how things change. The last show that I did here in 2023, just before Christmas, we were doing break-ins during the program because of the flooding and everything that's going on. And then, you know, coming down the highway today, there's snow all over the place. And like they say, you know, that's Vermont. Uh, the weather changes Daily. If you don't like it today, stick around tomorrow. It will be different. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for joining me all last year and starting off uh, the new year, kicking off the new year. Thanks to the sponsors because this program would not happen without their support. And my good friends at Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com, zero sort recycling. They help to keep it out of the landfill. Reliable service, competitive pricing too. Check it out at Casella.com. Jolly convenience stores. You know, when you're on the road, when you're traveling like I am, I know where to stop for a hot cup of coffee or a sandwich or, or an ice cold drink. Uh, in the home of the Daily Smile. And these are people that are committed to the community. That's why I like them so much, all of my friends at Jolly Convenience Stores. And Milton Travel, going to do some traveling? Milne Travel can help you out. They've been doing it since 1975. MilneTravel.com. They're travel specialists. They search the lowest airfares via the databases exclusive to the travel industry, and they take all the stress out of it for you, too. And then, of course, Myers Bagel Cafe or Myers Wood Fired. Uh, I gotta tell you, um, just, you know, great, great sandwiches, a very, very creative menu. But really, the best bagels that you're ever going to try, they're Montreal style, which means that they're hand-rolled, they're wood-fired, they are uh, boiled in honey water before they go in the oven, they they smoke their own meats. I mean, what else can I say? They even do mail order. They're that popular. I mean, they mail them all across the country. They have breakfast and lunch sandwiches. Very, very creative menu, as I mentioned. And get this now, uh, they, you know, they sell T-shirts and things like that and hats and things like that. In fact, they got some nice-looking toques there. Um, if if you wear one of those into the store, you'll get 10% off your entire order. So, you know, a simple shirt, if you go in there every day, uh, you know, that shirt could pay for itself in no time at all. Myers Bagel Cafe, open from 2, uh, open from 6 to 2. I'm a little dyslexic here, excuse me, from 6 to 2 daily. They're located at 408 Shelburne Road in Burlington, Myers Wood Fired. All right, 2024, great show lined up for you today. Our series, Vermont Grown, we're going to continue with that series. We'll uh, meet Courtney Logner coming up. Uh, she's the brand and community manager of the Darn Tough Sock Company. But my first guest today, this is a, this is a lot of fun because, you know, I've had a lot of guests on my, my previous program, and uh, this is one of them. My first guest today I've known for almost 20 years, uh, mi amigo, uh, Cuban-American Tony Basanta, 
Buen dia, Tony. Welcome to Travel Buen, with Charlie. Buen dia, Charlie. Glad to be talking to you today now through WDEV. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. You know, Tony, you and I go way back and talking about music. And uh, I apologize. We don't have any, you know, Afro-Cuban uh, style music to, to do for the intro today. Or, 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 or maybe Danny can find some. We'll, we'll put them on. Danny, find some. You tell him what you want, uh, uh, Tony, and he'll, he'll find it for us here. We'll have it during our well, breaks. <laughs> next time, any Berman mom would be, would be fine. Okay. We, we'll try that. So. Uh, let's let's talk. You know, interesting because uh, I've known you for a long time, and I always enjoyed talking with Cuba about you, uh, about uh, Cuba with you. When did you first come to to the United States, and when did you first come to Vermont, uh, Tony? Um, I came to Vermont in November 2006, and that was a wonderful year for me. First in Havana, and then here. I have been living all the time here in the Green Mountain State. So why Vermont? Well, the reason that I came straight to Vermont from Havana, Havana, Montreal Airport, Vermont by road, is because the person who brought me to the U.S., she lives in Williston. And that was a wonderful experience for me because I, I knew her when she went to Cuba in a plan that had to do with uh, science, dancer, artists, musicians, or more. So she had a question and said, would you like to come to the U.S.? And I said, oh, yes, I would love to. I did not even know that she was living in Vermont, that she had lived here for a long time. So that's why I came to Vermont, and then I stayed here. And I am very grateful that she brought me here. But what a difference. I mean, I don't need to tell people today what the weather is in Cuba and what, what we have here. Uh, you know, eight inches of snow on the ground, depending on where you are, you know, 20 degrees, certainly not anything like the tropics in Cuba. Did you have a hard time adjusting to that, Tony? Well, uh, let's see. I began getting used to the winter. I use now, I wear now four layers and I know how to <laughs> put myself in care of that. Um, before 2013, I was taking the bus. I was having good boots and I was working and teaching and working as a cashier at a Walmart. So I had to walk most of the time, but now I am more comfortable because I have finally a car so I can drive from Fairfax to go Chester to work at shows and go to the radio television and go to shows everywhere. So how easy was it, excuse me, <clears throat> how easy was it for you to leave Cuba? You know, we, we often hear about, you know, people, they, they get on rafts and they come to, to Cuba, or they come to America. How easy was that for you? You don't just leave, do you, Tony? Well, let's see. Um, my, my, my visa permit took her uh, three years. And um, I have to be very grateful to a person who was working for the United Nations who really worked to do that. When I, was, um, when I went to the interview at the American Embassy in Havana, as I had a very clean file for all my life, they gave me the visa. But due to some paperwork, which were, let's say, so ridiculous, um, I had to wait almost five months to come to the U.S. So I almost lose that those six first visa permits. Mm. But I finally could make it, and that took me a long time to go from my hometown to another province because in those days I was working in two different radio stations, one in the capital city, the other one also in the capital city, but it belonged to the Havana outskirts. So it was a different government. So, well, finally, that was a coincidence with a non-aligned meeting in Havana, and um, everybody was very busy to sign a paper and a permit to a Cuban 
to fly to the United States of America. So that took me a little mm. time, but it was okay. I did all I could. I woke up early. I walked. I paid for taxis, and finally I got here. Well, uh, you know, hard work and perseverance uh, certainly pay off. If you want to talk with my guest this afternoon, Tony Basanta, Cuban-American uh, music producer, and as you also just heard a moment ago, also uh, some work in radio, and he still does some of that. You can uh, join us here at uh, WDEV at 244-1777 or one 291 8255. Tony, let's talk about living under Fidel. You know, here in America, we, we only know what we hear. And, you know, even you, in Cuba, you only know about America what you hear. And of course, we probably hear more than you were allowed to hear living in Cuba. What was it like living under Fidel Castro? It was really difficult. There was a scarcity of everything. It was a very improductive nation due to the let's say, the, 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 the strange and rare policy of communism. So I don't think that we never had to depend on the socialist bloc to send us food because they never did it. So I remember having some compotas from Russia and something, some clothes from Poland. But the rest, I mean, we have a, a wonderful land that was one of the most important agricultural countries before 1960. So we were one of the finest sugar cane producers, and now we don't even have a sugar mill in the in the island. Seriously. So everything began impoverishing, and I want to clear it out for all the people who are listening. It is not due to the American embargo. The American embargo was imposed by President Kennedy because Fidel was selling all the properties of the Americans. That should be clear, because yeah. I have been a substitute teacher in Vermont, and I see how some... Spanish professors uh, teach the books with interviews to Fidel Castro. So, I mean, the interviews are beautiful, but the reality of the people yeah. yesterday and today is really difficult to live. And I'm, I'm glad uh, that, Tony, I'm glad that you brought that up because I'd like you to talk about how, you know, Cuban Americans, how Cubans uh, felt about America. And you, you mentioned that, you know, they would, Cuba, you know, Fidel would try to, to, to make it like, you know, it, it was the U.S. that was doing all of this to you. But any relief that was sent to them, the government would take it. They wouldn't give it to you, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that um, here we have elections every four years. A president can be reelected four years more. Yeah. But Fidel ruled between 1959 until I came to the U.S. So that was a long time. When I was four, the involution of Fidel Castro triumphed over the hills of Sierra Maestra. They came into the island, and they began to close all the doors. We have a lot of immigrants. It was really difficult to travel outside Cuba, not because the American embargo. is because we were not allowed to fly. We were not tourists. Right. We had to be inside the island. My uncle Orlando, who lived for many years in Caracas, Venezuela, he sent me a ticket to fly by KLM to meet my family there. And because I was 15, I was not allowed to travel because the military, let's say, service began when you were 15 oh, yeah. until 27. Yeah. That's another thing that is not in the books. And nobody knows that. That's why we had so many boat lifts before uh, the embassy of Peru, that is another important fact in the history of Cuba. Mm -hmm. uh, I will always try to remember President Jimmy Carter, who only was here 
four years as a president yes. because the Americans did not understand him and never reelected him mm-hmm. because he was a preacher. And he's the one who tried to, I mean, I, he was the one who tried most to lift up the embargo. That was only a sign. Oh, yes, let's make relations. Let's stop all the, let's say, the restrictions. And he created scholarships for American students to study in Cuba and for Cuban students to study in the U.S. Interesting, yeah. That was President Jimmy Carter. And that so opens... He's an old man and he's still working. Yeah, I know he is. Yeah, he's building houses. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. My guest is uh, Tony Basanta. We'd love for you to talk with him today if you have a question. Uh, he's Cuban-American. We're going to find out uh, what he did for work in Cuba, what he's doing here, his time as a music producer, working in radio, and even teaching. He's all over the place. And we'll continue our conversation conversation right here on Travels with Charlie WDEV next. The waste and resource management industry is a complex integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. Welcome back. Good afternoon. Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo, and joining me on phone line today, not from Cuba, but from Vermont, my friend, uh, Tony Basanta. Tony, thanks for staying with us, and good afternoon once again. Okay, good afternoon, Charlie. It's a pleasure. So, you know, when we last uh, talked uh, just before the break, we're talking about uh, Cuba and and living there, and when you left, um, you, you've hinted about some of the things that you do uh, on, in radio, uh, uh, a teacher. What exactly did you do in Cuba? Well, in Cuba, I am, when I was only 15, I began studying um, to be a professor. So I was like eight years, and I did my social service. I'm very proud to have been a teacher for so many years. I was a student teacher for five years. Then I had three doing my social service. I studied at two important institutes, the Enrique Jose Barona Pedagogical Institute, who was a great pedagogue in Cuba. And later on, it was a superior language pedagogical institute that is known in Spanish as ISPLESH, Instituto Superior Pedagogico de Lenguas Extranjeras, Foreign Languages, mm-hmm. in Havana City. And then I, I studied many, many years after that. I was making postgraduate courses every six months. I really prepared myself to be a good teacher. I was um, a professor in high school, in grammar school, high school, and also at the Medical College of Havana. I worked at the Medical College for eight years, first in the main seat in Havana, later on in two hospitals, because that is a very good plan. I think that is one of the most positive ideas of education in Cuba. So while you are studying, you are also working in the hospital. So the students could see an operation surgery of any kind, and they were studying at the same time. So that was very good for me. It marked me as a teacher, and I had very good students. I will always be proud of them, and most of them now live around the world. All those who live here in the U.S., we are always communicating and exchanging information about our lives. I really love them. They were wonderful, all those. And then 
1989, I had an invitation to be a music programmer, so producción musical, just to select music for a morning review that mm -hmm. was mostly cultural. This was on a, a radio then, station? Radio? Yes. Yeah. It was a Radio Metropolitana, Metropolitan Radio in Havana. It was a very local station that could only be listened to in the capital city. Mm -hmm. And then um, a few months after, let's say six months after my my beginning on the radio, I began to be hired to, to substitute other producers who were going to be on vacation until I finally got my my contract and I decided not to be a teacher anymore and became a full-time broadcaster. I work in different stations. I flew to Montevideo, Uruguay, thanks to the radio because some people in Montevideo invited me to go there. They covered all my expenses. And I was um, for six months in Montevideo uh, as a director on a weekly show Saturday mornings on CX30 National Radio. And there I also published on many newspapers. I did a lot of music from Uruguay. I knew a lot about Latin American music. Sure. It was a Montevideo, cultural capital, Ibero-American. So, Tony, you, um, have a, you have a very diverse background, certainly. Uh, how much of, of that have you been able to transfer here to the U.S.? And I know that you are doing some music producing here. You, you work with bands here. But can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. Well, in, in Vermont, when I arrived in November 2006, thanks to David Garten, who is a very well-known photographer here in the Green Mountain State who lives in Waysell, he introduced me to L.J. Pallotti at UVM, and I was there between 2006, the end of 2006, until 2009. Then I passed to St. Michael's College, so I was doing two shows a week on Thursday, first at the Radiator early in the morning at 6, and then at 12 at St. Michael's. I continue working, teacher, cashier, doing both things. And um, in 2012, when I moved to Richmond, I began also hosting a television show that I named the Cuban Bridge on television because I have one Cuban Bridge on the radio. And there I produce 83 or 85 episodes of music. I work a lot with the local talents here, and I presented all I could. And um, I feel very glad because there I learned also to speak on television, which is something, you know, important for a person that is a non-speaking-born, <laughs> let's say. Well, you there I have, I am very grateful that they also teach me a lot about, you know, commands, how to address myself on sure. TV. It, on the radio at the beginning, I, it was difficult for me also to speak only in English. Yeah. So I try to do both things. Well, you, do a, you do a great I job, am. Tony, and I can certainly attest to to doing uh, radio and TV. I, I When I left my radio what? program five years ago, I started doing a video series. And, boy, that was, you know, it's completely different. you got to look in the camera. You can't rely on notes. You have to sort of, uh, you know, wing it and, and uh, a little bit different, uh, certainly. Tony, it's great to talk with you today. Cuban-American Tony Basanta, you want to talk with him, ask him a question, one 877 Five five, Tony. Let's get right into Cuban life. What's it like today uh, versus uh, pre-Fidel? We talked about what it was like with Fidel. What's it like now since the passing of Fidel? Have things loosened? Is it is it easier uh, for Cubans to to live there? No, it's really tough. And um, me myself, I I am very happy to be able to help my family. Thanks also to my friend here in Fairfax, Vermont. Um, I have my family is starving in Cuba the same as the rest of the population. 
Uh, there are no supermarkets. There is no power. There is no water. There is no transportation. A taxi can be 6,000 Cuban pesos to go anywhere. 6,000. It's not $12. It's a lot more. Yeah. And then they are a scarcity of everything, you know? And food and medicine, we were the super powerful a country in medicine, and now we are not. But so Tony, are what is, Tony, what is it that we see when we see travel shows? And I remember, you know, Anthony Bourdain doing a show uh, before he passed in Cuba. And, you know, going into restaurants that looked like four-star restaurants. It looked like they were in a, a beautiful part of the world. And yet you talk about, uh, you know, the poor, the poverty that's there. There's two different worlds there, is there not? Because people do go there. There are two, there are, I think that there are maybe three more different worlds. Let's say the Canadians who are our neighbors up north, they go to the Keys, Los Cayos, Cayo Gogo, Cayo, all the Keys. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, they, they live outside Cuba. So they live in an island, like living in Vancouver. But the other reality, I was there. Let's see, I had a girlfriend from Montevideo, Uruguay, who came to visit me in Cuba, and she wanted to go to Cayo Coco or to Cayo something. And then we were not allowed to, to, to go there because we were not married. So that's stupid. Yeah. You know? And then, thanks to another guy, as I complained, then they, they helped us to make a reservation to go to Cayo Coco. So, you know, I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with the embargo. That is the however of Cuba. Yeah. When's the you last know? time you were there, Tony? When, when was the last time you visited Cuba? I, my last time was before COVID. I was there in 2019. Uh -huh. I was invited to go to the Havana International Jazz Festival. Mm -hmm. I participated in the academic educational program, and I gave a lecture about a, a different kind of revolution, Cuban influence on jazz. Yeah. So all those who came here uh, before the revolution and those who came after, that was my presentation. Tony, all musicians who have been playing with Santana, Machito on the Afro Q, and yeah. Tito Puente, all those who are here and that nobody's speaking about them because they are like the Cubans in exile. So yes. the magazine, the newspapers, and more, they don't even recognize their participation. So even in the U.S. and also in Cuba. Tony, when when you travel back and you you're, you're speaking, you're talking with other people. Do you have to be careful about what you say? You know, there people are listening, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a point, and I'm sure you, you'll understand this very well. When I was doing my other radio program, when Lieutenant Governor uh, Phil, uh, Lieutenant Governor Brian Doobie at the time uh, flew to Cuba, uh, and we did a radio interview with him, and I'll never forget, it was kind of haunting because uh, Brian was doing the interview with us, and when we hung up, we said, okay, Brian, thanks for being with us today, and... I heard two phones hang up. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah. and, Bri and Brian talked with it about it when he came back. He said, Oh, yeah, you know, people were following you. People listened to you. You had to be, do you have to be, did you have to be careful about what you spoke about uh, when you went back, Tony? I always try to be aware of my limitations. But one day I said something that is really true. Let's see, around 2001, 2000. I was working as an MC producer programmer in a jazz club in Havana, the Big and the Crow. Yeah. So every Tuesday, I had two segments on the radio in two different stations to speak about jazz. Mm -hmm. And then one day I said, I was speaking about Daphne Prieto, who now lives in Florida. He's a super powerful drummer with Grammy Awards. And I said, well, now 
we have more uh, Cubans living in the U.S. Immediately came downstairs one of the advisors who are making money without doing nothing, only supervising a script that they don't know what they are about. Yeah. Because I wrote, and they don't know what is an app one. They don't know who is Machito and the Afro-Cuban. They don't know who is anybody here. And then, oh, how are you going to say that? I said, well, have you, have you proved all the amount of Cubans who are living in the country since 1960? Those families are having babies, and the babies are growing, and they play baseball, volleyball, basketball, soccer, American football, and music. Mm. And they are painters and dancers. Tony, can so you talk? The population can, is growing. Can you talk quickly about the love of baseball in Cuba? You know, many people certainly, you know, we know uh, El Tiante, uh, who played for the Boston Red Sox. He came from Cuba. Um, and your love for baseball in that uh, that country. Oh, yeah. I, I remember I bought one of the T-shirts of the um, Chicago White Sox because Orestes Mignoso, who is not in the Hall of Fame because he needs more voters, but his song was with me in an American college in Havana, that is the Candler College. My mother always talked to us about Orestes Mignoso, who was a gentleman. He played in the American big leagues, and then he went to, to play in the summer leagues in Havana, where there were four uh, professional baseball teams. So he played in one of them, Marianao, where we lived. And, um, well, that was a great source of players coming to the United States of America. Now, those Maybe those teams are those... controlled by the government, right, Tony? Uh, they don't make a lot of money. They, they don't make millions like the players do here in the U.S., do they? No. A, a sport men and women in Cuba have a salary. Yeah. You can be a boxer, and then you have, let's say, a contract to play, to work in a factory. So you make, you can make 138 pesos a month. My father worked in a, in a glass industry, and Jojito Hernandez, who was one of the lower ways on, on boxing, he went there every, every month to pay, to take his check. But he was not working there. He was just practicing how to be a boxer. So they say that they are not professional. No, they are not professional because they don't make millions of dollars. That's right. But they are professional because they only practice their sports. And we could have more basketballers in the, in the NBA, either men or women, because Cuba, the men have two world, let's say, crowns, Olympics and, um, and the World Cup of basketball. Yeah. In those years with Pedro Chavez, Miguelito Calderón, Urgeyes, and others, Rupert Herrera, who later became the commissioner of the Cuban basketball. His songs are playing in the U.S. Tony, this has been great talking with you today. i got a break. We've got uh, another guest coming up here in just a moment. We're going to be talking with uh, Courtney Lagner from the uh, Darn Tough Sock Company. But before we go, Tony, I want to give you a chance to give a shout-out. I know that you've had a photo exhibit that you've shown uh, a number of times here in Vermont, uh, pictures of Cuba, and also your Havana-Fairfax connection, the, uh, the the videos that you shoot at the uh, lcatv.org. You can uh, check that out online. And, of course, uh, the live shows that you put on that people can go to. Talk about that just quickly. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I began the hosting that television show in June 2017, thanks to an invitation of the channel coordinator, who is also a musician. Her name is Rebecca Padula. And we have produced together, although she never wanted to take my credit, as she said. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks to her, I am learning to make better editions. 
And um, I have been putting all my heart in those shows, and now we have 145 episodes, including many local talents. Episode 143 is one of the greatest Vermont bands that play blues, led by guitarist Bob Young, who lives in Jericho. So this is a great opportunity for people that uh, uh, in, in music, uh, they, they can uh, play with other musicians, and, and you produce it and put this show on, and people can see it or they can come out live. It's at the, uh, the Cable Access Studio in Colchester, and you can find out more information at lcatv.org. Tony Basanta. So nice well, to talk you with you again want. today. I really appreciate you joining me. And, uh, you know, I always see you uh, at the store, so we'll we'll say hi to you uh, from time to time and get you back on here again. Love having you on. Thank you. Beautiful. And uh, just one little thing. Episode 141, that is about Cuba Nueva Trova, is being retransmitted today by 16 public access channels in the U.S. Fantastic. Great stuff. Tony, good to talk with you today. Thanks for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Big hope for you, Charlie. Thank you very much for you and your family and all the team in WDV. Sí, con mucho gusto. All right, coming up next, Darn Tough Sock Company brand and community manager Courtney Lagner joins me right here. Travels with Charlie, WDEV. When I'm on the road, I don't have to look very far for a place to fill my gas tank or my belly. Jolly Convenience Stores, with over 40 locations to choose from, makes it easy. Fuel for your car, fresh-made sandwiches, soft drinks, hot coffee, pastries, friendly service, and even creamies. Jolly Convenience Stores supports your community by sponsoring events, veteran organizations, and more. That's why I support them, and you should too. Stop in today. Jolly Convenience Stores, home of the Daily Smile. Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo. A quick reminder, this show and past shows are available on podcast at WDEVradio.com. And in our continuing series, Vermont Grown, uh, my next guest is the brand and community manager for Darn Tough Sock Company, Courtney Lagner. Courtney, thank you for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And, and uh, you know, case in point with uh, the podcast, you went back and listened to some previous programs here on WDEV's uh, Travels with Charlie, and you found out that, you know, graft always works. Uh, you know, you can bring food to the host. Uh, I've been I've been riding that wave for almost 30 years now, Courtney. Uh, and Courtney brought some socks, and you can't eat them. Uh, yeah, I, but, I don't want you to eat them. No, they... And they're beautiful. Look at these Thank socks. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I did my research. I went back, yeah. listened to some of your work. And uh, the last episode I listened to talked about a maple pie. Yes. And I was like, Ugh. From my friend Scott Milne. That's right. I, you know, it's funny because now I'll always remember you by the socks. I always remembered people by what they brought in. When when Scott came That's on great. many years after he'd been on the previously with me, and he said, you remember? I said, yeah, the pie that you brought in from that truck stop. Yes. It was the it was the best maple pie I've ever had in my life. I would be thrilled if you saw me on the street after this and you just said, The socks. It's her. I would love to go down with that. And and, and I gotta tell you, Courtney, because I'm wearing my these I think they're lifestyles, are they? They right? are. They, they got the maple logo on them. Yes. And this I wanted to get into this, but let's get into it right now. Great. This is actually a sock that helps benefit. This is the reason why I wanted you to come on because you're not just selling socks. You guys are a pillar in the community. Thank you. Thank so, you. so these socks, somebody buys these socks, 
they're helping to feed someone, right? They are, yeah. So I, I also will say that that is something I never thought that I'd be able to do. If somebody puts their foot out and lifts their pants, I can immediately <laughs> say, oh, yeah, that's our maple syrup sock. I can tell you all of the yeah. socks. Well, they're all unique. It's, it's yeah. absolutely true. So how long have you been doing this one with the food bank? With the food bank, our partnership started actually back in 2006 when Mark and Rick Cabot, our owners and founders, uh, donated 17 turkeys, right? Like that's how grassroots we started with yeah. this relationship. Yeah. And then we committed in 2017 with um, with doing the Giving Tuesday. So we've been doing that every year since, and we are now over 1.5 million meals donated to the state of Vermont. Wow, that's right? amazing. So, yeah, and if you if you think about how many Vermonters there are, yeah. we've fed the population twice. Yeah. And that's pretty great to think about. And you also got some great press just a little while ago with, you know, again, flood relief. Uh, you remember, many people remember, I still have one on uh, one of our cars, the uh, the the. The uh, Vermont Strong license plate. Yes. And this just, I, I, whoever thought this up, maybe it was you, Courtney, was it? It was a bit. It was you? It was uh, It was actually from the governor. The governor posted on in, on his Instagram yeah. the day of the flood. Yeah. He couldn't get out of his house, so he decided to hike through the woods, yeah. and he wore a darn tough cap. Ah. And people all over the state were like, yeah, that darn tough. It's not just socks. It's really a mantra yeah. to live by. Yeah. So we're not office. just Vermont strong. And that's what you did. You took that Vermont strong license plate and you said... Tough, tough too. too. I was kind of hoping uh, you put the darn on there, but did they? Did somebody nix you on that? No, no. nobody nixed us. No. It just is tough. We're tough, yeah. right? Plus, yeah. you know, you got character limit on those kinds right. of things. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's benefited again because uh, people bought the new license plate. Maybe they had the old one and they liked that one. They said, you know, not only are we strong, we're tough. Yeah. Yeah, and everything goes back to the Vermont Community Foundation, yeah. who has been a really wonderful partner of ours as well. Courtney Lagner, my guest this afternoon, she is with the Darn Tough uh, Sock Company, and we're talking. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the founding of the company, because, and again, here's an interesting story. I, I, you know, I posted on Facebook that you were going to be on, and we're talking about this, and I hear from somebody that said. I met Rick Cabot 20 years ago, and he said, you got to come and see this thing that I'm doing, making socks. And he said, here's a pair of socks. And the guy told me, this is 20 years ago, he says, I still have the socks. I still wear them. So that's we hear this all the time, and Rick is not joking. Rick is our president and CEO. He, If you come to the mill, if you see him out in public, yeah. he will remember you. He'll yeah. have this like, oh, yeah, you were done on Universe Sports, and I handed you those socks. <laughs> we were founded on grassroots when, when Rick thought of Darn Tough proper. He went down to a retailer with a bag full of socks said, just try these, try these. And we still have people that are sending in those socks yeah. for our warranty program. Now, people, uh, many people here in Vermont certainly know a darn tough a sock company, but you're, you're worldwide. You're we not are. just in Vermont any longer. And still made in Vermont. You don't do anything 100%. outside of Vermont. Do it all here. Um, but you guarantee them for life. Yes. And that is just something that just boggles my mind. It's mind-boggling and super fun and super nerdy. I've worked in the warranty department before, seeing the things that come back. But the so do people is, send them in and you and you darn them for them? Or? You know, we don't <laughs> no. hand darn. Yeah. We let people, we give them a code for darntough.com, yeah. and they can go and pick any kind that they want afterwards. Yeah. They'll get a credit for it. Yeah. But the stories that come back, the love letters that people send to us, we have been um, coined with military coins before. Yeah. Um, it's just really, really powerful. And then, of course, all of our R&D comes from that as well. If we see 100 pairs of black, large, and one style come back, we can say, was there something wrong with that mm, yarn? Yeah. Right. So it's really how we're getting our research as yeah. well. Merino wool. They're made yes. all completely with merino wool. Many people, if you're wearing socks, you're going, they're polyester, they're cotton. 
Right. Yeah. What's are, What's the advantage of merino wool other than they last forever? Yeah. So merino is really beautiful fiber. It is thermoregulating, moisture wicking. So you're not going to have stinky feet. You're not going to have sweaty feet. Yeah. We had um, a podcast host, Adam Jabber, wear a pair of our socks for 50 days oh just to see if it could be done. It was done. <laughs> it's true. We have it framed in one of our Northfield Whoa. facilities. Yeah. Yeah. But you still have friends on day 49. Keep your eh, shoes on. Eh. Yeah. It, the unfortunate thing is I was with him at a golf tournament when he took them off. And, and it was the, Courtney, you said these wouldn't Woo. stink. And he did the hand pass. Oh, boy. Like, ah, I got to do it. No, thank you. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Questions or comments for my guest this afternoon, Courtney Lagner with uh, uh, Darn Tough Sock Company. Our number is 244-1777 or toll free at 1-877-291-8255. So, was it Rick and his partner? Rick they... and his dad. His dad that... founded Cabot Hosiery Mills in 1978. They did that together. Yep. And what was the reason behind that? I mean, you know, so many people, you know, especially here in Vermont, Vermont is very entrepreneurish. Yes. However you want to say that. <laughs> I sort of stumbled a little bit. You can cover for me, Courtney. I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay. Uh but, you know, you think of, oh, let's do ice cream, let's do a restaurant, uh, yeah. people do toques, they do hats, yeah. uh, we're very outdoorsy. How did the whole idea for let's do socks come up? Yeah, so I think I can make this comparison because WDEV has been in my life my entire life. So Mark Cabot is to socks like Ken Squire is to this station. Wow unbelievable wealth of knowledge, respect. And Mark, uh, you know, lived in Brooklyn, was working with Christian Dior, really big, big names in the industry, and then decided to come up north and start his own hosiery facility. And that's where Cabot Hosiery came from. And it wasn't really about design. I mean, it was more about comfort and making a good product, right? Because, again, we're Vermonters. We like to go hiking. We're outdoors. And and it's important to have a – you have a sock specifically for hiking, right? Right. So Cabot Hosiery is our parent company. Right. So then Darn Tough was started in the early 2000s when everything was going offshore. Mark challenged his son, Rick, who is the founder and owner of of Darn Tough. We need something different. This isn't working. People are going offshore. How can we keep the lights on? So that's where Rick tuned into the machines and said, I'm going to make the most durable, comfortable and best fitting sock on the planet. And I'm going to guarantee it. So that's where Darn Tough came out of in 2004. Now, it's also I have it written down here somewhere about. Oh, um, on the website, it says. We've yet to produce our best, our best sock. sock. That's correct. Now that's a great mantra because you're going. We've got a real, we've got a darn good product, but we can still do better. So you're always aiming higher, day in, day out. That is the mantra for every single employee. How do you make something better that's guaranteed for life? I know. I, I mean, know. It's uh, we'll bury you in them. Yes. <laughs> Funny story. Oh we, no. This is yeah. a true story. We have had somebody send their will to us and no. say, "We want you to know." that the will holds darn tough socks in them, and they are being passed to my children. It's true. Uh, I thought you were going to say they, they wanted to be buried in their darn tough socks. I I know of people that have. I'm that. sure there's somebody out there that's uh, that's done that. There yeah. has oh, to yeah. be, right? There has to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Courtney Lagner uh, with Darn Tough Sock Company, guaranteed for life. i, I got to mention about the comfort, durability, and fit. because. Yes. And I'm not just saying this because you're here. I'm wearing my lifestyle socks today. I think I had a work sock on yesterday. And there's a big difference. And you would big say, difference. it's just a name. I put that work. It was my first time ever wearing one of the work socks, right? And I put it on. And the first thing I said, wow, these go on real easy. And I don't know why. 
There is so much math they and didn't, science and research that goes into every single song. You don't it's know how many scene. times, and you probably don't want to hear it, and, you know, close your ears if, you know, if there's any kids around. But, you know, they, they snag on your toenails, oh, you yeah. know, so, right? These don't. No. They went right up. I said, well, that's different. Now, here's the thing that I noticed. I'm walking around. I'm I'm a – and nothing to do with Skechers, but if you want to send me a pair, I'm 11 and a half wide. Uh, or 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 Merrill's. I, I do like them both. Uh, but I, I had on a pair of Skechers, which are a very comfortable shoe, and I typically wear them with like a thin sock or something. I had my work sock on, and I just noticed something. The entire day as I was walking around, I'm going, wow, there's like extra cushion or something. I don't know if it's in the heel, it's in the toe, but it feels different. So how is that made differently? Because you look at a pair, and you can notice there's, there's some different stitching yeah, in it. Yeah. So every single category that we have is designed specifically for the end use. So a work sock. Do you remember what color socks you were wearing yesterday? They were, I think, brown. Brown. Brownish okay. ones. Okay. So yeah. isn't the, can't you tell how nerdy I am with socks? Yeah, I just yeah. know the color and I'm like, right. oh, okay. So what I was hoping you were going to say is that you were wearing work category, a black sock with an orange toe. That one specifically is called our Steely, right? So when you put that sock on, it's a thinner, medium weight sock, yeah. and then we have extra cushion in the toe, yeah. designed for steel toe boots. Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. So we always yeah. think we, we're working two years ahead in research. So we're looking on sneaker trends, boot trends, shoe trends, all of that to figure out cushioning levels, and that's then when our warranty comes in. Yeah. Because we can see if people are wearing out a little bit higher. Yeah. We're going to change that because we've yet to produce our best sock. Now, I didn't see anything on the website uh, like for an orthopedic-style sock, uh, you know, compression socks. People, if they travel, uh, I'm into traveling, certainly. You're on a plane. People, will, you know, doctors recommend wearing compression socks when you're flying. Do you right. do anything like that? We have done a graduated light compression. Our machines simply do not allow us to get uh, to a medical grade, yeah. so we're not going to try it. Yeah. Yeah, Courtney Lagner, my guest this afternoon, Darn Tough Sock Company. We're going to continue our conversation. There's lots more to find out about making socks. And who could, who would, you know, ever think you're going to talk a whole segment about socks? This is an interesting company. It's not just socks. I mean, <laughs> they do a lot in the community uh, and lots of different styles. Uh, and we're going to talk more about that coming up right after the break. And we are taking phone calls. I see Alan is there. Alan, you hang on. We'll be right back. After this, Travels with Charlie, WDEV. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you. Guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millentravel.com. Welcome back. Travels with Charlie. Stay with us. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking more with Courtney Lagner. And I've got uh, calls coming in at one 291 8255 If you'd like to join us, we'll be right back. In a moment, i got to tell you about my friends at Myers Bagel Cafe in Burlington. No longer called Myers Bagel Cafe. They are Myers Wood-Fired. They've always been Wood-Fired, but kind of a rebranding. They've moved from their old location on Pine Street to Shelburne Road. They're located at 408 Shelburne Road in Burlington. 
still doing all the fantastic bagels, Montreal style. That means that they have to be wood fired. They have to be hand rolled and then they have to be boiled in honey water. That's what they do. That's the way they've been doing it for years. They are absolutely the best bagels. Don't believe me. Seven days. They've won the seven days award again. They keep winning it. They are the best bagels around by far. They've got a very creative lunch and breakfast uh, menu. And of course, you know, doing Sunday brunch, they've got an unbelievable signature, uh, um, uh, Bloody Mary. They use Montreal Spice, which is on some of their bagels. And, of course, they do it a surf and turf style. They're using Tito's Vodka. Check it out. Myers Bagel, Myers Wood-Fired Bagels on Shelburne Road. 408 Shelburne Road. They're open from 6 to 2 every day. Check them out at uh, Myers Bagels. Yeah, good, good stuff. And back with, with Courtney Lagner from Darn Tough Sock Company. Alan from Lincoln's been hanging on the line. Alan, you got a pair of socks that you've had for the last 20 years you want to talk about? How you doing? I'm good. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you, Alan. Go ahead. Thank you for joining us here. Hang on one second. I just had to plug my phone in. I actually just got off the trail. I went up towards uh, Mount Abraham today, and I am indeed wearing a pair of darn tough socks. And I can also provide feedback that I uh, through-hiked the Appalachian Trail a few years back and only used darn tough socks, yes. and they're quite popular on the long-distance trails. Um, my one bit of feedback, and this is what I was thinking when I was listening to Courtney, is if you want some feedback from somebody who only wears them, the bands around the tops of them are a little bit tight on my legs. And so if you think about moving, you know, some, making some changes, that would be one suggestion I'd make. But anyway, I love them. If you have any specific questions, let me know. Alan, I got to tell you, she just wrote it down. You know, when she gets back <laughs> to the office today, she's going to, she's going to bring that up. I am. Allie, thank you so much for that feedback. Um, and congratulations on the AT. That's really, really incredible. So something that's super exciting about that fact that you just brought up is you're not the only one to say that. Yeah. And we listen. We have actually launched a brand new brand called Wide Open Socks. So those are to fit a little bit of a different uh, a different way, mm -hmm. different foot stretch, different ankle stretch, and different calf stretch. So definitely check out WideOpenSocks.com, Alan. Try, try those out. There you go, Alan. Any other questions? Any other comments? No, I mean, I, I appreciate the uh, input. I'm glad I'm not the only one that said it because that's the only weakness of the sock. <laughs> yeah, I will we... also tell you that I uh, I work at REI in Williston there, and we get numerous people that come in and swap out their darn tough socks, and uh, nobody says a bad thing about them. So there's a little feedback for you. Thanks for listening to me today. And uh, I'll check out Wide Open Socks. Beautiful. I appreciate it. And thank you guys for doing the warranty up there in Williston. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, Alan. Catherine from Moortown is on the line. She has a darn tough sock story as well. Good afternoon, Catherine. Welcome to Travels with Charlie with Courtney Lagner from Darn Tough Sock Company. Well, Courtney, I'm glad to talk to you. And these wide socks that you're talking about may be good for diabetics. Yes. Because I would love to have a pair of their socks, but I can't wear them yet. Absolutely. Wide open socks. Give and those they, a shot. And they, and they will, they're good for diabetics? You know, I, I cannot be quoted on that. Um, uh -huh. I'm already thinking like, oh, I can connect you with Carmen over at my office. Yeah. Um, but so certainly go onto the website, check it out. Lots of reviews there, lots of information. You'd be able to compute a lot better than I would on your needs. Well, I've got a friend that works over there, and he just got hired. Oh, and beautiful. he's such a natural. 
honestly. It took them two hours to decide to hire him. I <laughs> said, what were they thinking? They could have hired you on the spot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> that is. Catherine, so thanks. I'll have him look it up. I'll have him research it. Perfect. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Okay, yeah, bye. Courtney, another interesting story about uh, the Darn Tough uh, Sock. Back in 2004, uh, I've been associated with the Vermont City Marathon as an announcer for many years. In 2004, you handed out socks to many of the runners. Yes. And again, it make, it's a running sock, right? That was our very first It was first like 3,500 pairs? Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. So that was our very first sock as a run sock. A lot of people think, oh, Darn Tough, you guys just make hiking socks. Fake news. We make nine different categories, and it all started in run. And I'm glad that you brought up the city marathon because that was in 2004. I'm not good at numbers, but how many years are we? We're having a big anniversary this year. Yeah. We're 20 years old this year. Way. And so if you ran that marathon and yeah. received those socks, yeah. I would keep a lookout later this year. Oh. Yeah. Okay, runners, if you're out there and you're listening today, uh, keep that keep that in mind. Courtney Lagner with uh, Darn Tough Sock Company. A lot of colorful socks. You know, when you look at them, all different designs. You've got a beautiful yes, thank little, you. little, little rainbow. Yes. Who comes up with all the designs? We have an in-house design and development team. But the other really cool thing is that ideas come from everywhere within our all four walls of all of our facilities. In fact, the sock that you have on right now yeah. that gives back to the Vermont Food Bank was designed by an employee. Interesting. Yeah, we have an employee contest that goes on twice Great a year. Great stuff. Courtney, yeah. thank you for joining Absolutely. me today. Thank you for the socks. You're I'll be so wearing welcome. those proudly. Uh, thanks to uh, Courtney for joining me and Tony Basanta. My next show is on Monday, January 29th with Ben Kinsley from Campaign for Vermont uh, with the final results on their poll. And Colchester's newly appointed police chief, Pete Hull will be joining me. My sponsors, of course, well, couldn't do the show without uh, Casella Waste Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne Travel, Myers Bagel Cafe in Burlington. Theme song written and performed by Billy Bratcher. My executive producer is Brad Furlan. Running the board today, doing a great job as always. Give it up for Danny McGivergan. I'm Charlie Papillo, and I'll see you in my travels. Have a great day.